Hi everyone. Before we get started today, I wanted to share a word with you and a special offer for all of our listeners from our terrific sponsor at 212. Now, if you haven't heard of 212 and you're a startup founder, you need to make sure you don't miss what I'm about to say. At the heart of every business is your cap table. It's how you know who owns what of the business. And not only is it essential to understanding your ownership, but it's also increasingly a legal requirement expected of you by investors and regulators alike. But managing a cap table on an Excel spreadsheet is a nightmare. Trust me, I myself have done it, and it's not something I'm proud of, nor would I do it again. After having raised money from over 2,100 investors via regulation crowdfunding. That's why when it comes to cap table management, I switched over to 212 and I'm not looking back. With their white glove onboarding service included for free, I was up and running with our cap table solution in no time. Now I should note something really important. Other cap table providers on the market price based on your number of investors, which means when it comes to managing all of your investors, especially from online raises, you can be paying thousands of dollars in yearly fees. And that's what makes 212 far and away the best and most cost affordable option on the market for startup founders. With 212, you pay one flat fee of $240 a year, regardless of how many investors you have, and you get their full suite of features right out of the box without any hidden fees. One of my favorite features is the ability to see how much you'll get diluted if you take that next check. If you're a founder or an investor, you owe it to yourself to check out the 212 website at 212.co. That's T-W-O-1-2.co. And get this, they're giving King's Crowd listeners an additional 25% off your first year membership with discount code KINGSCROWD25. Dilution is real, complex, and expensive. For just $20 a month, well, 15 after the discount code, you can sleep easy at night and be ready when your next investor says yes. Hello, everyone, and thank you so much for joining us on another episode of the King's Crowd Startup Investor Podcast. Today, I am joined by a very special guest in Tony Drockton, the founder of Hammett. Uh, so with that, I'm going to kick it off to Tony and, and uh, have him tell us a little bit about himself and what he's up to at Hammett. Great. Thanks, Chris. Thanks for having me on. I'm Tony Drockton. I'm the chief cheerleader and the founder of Hammett. We're a luxury handbag brand out of right here, Hermosa Beach, California. And what we're up to is we're uh, building the really the first new American luxury handbag brand in 20 years. Wow. So tell me a little bit about that. First off, you know, a lot of the companies that we have on this show are typically building some sort of technology, um, you know, trying to become the next Google type of thing. Obviously, this is very different. Um, but tell us a little bit about how you got into handbags, why that was an area of interest, and what makes this a really interesting space to be in right now? You know, I got into it as an investment. Uh, fell in love with Stephanie Hammett, the founder designer. I invested a little bit of money, thought I would be kind of a mentor, a helper for a built brand. And I really fell in love with fashion. I already loved architecture, art, design. But my past lives, my past entrepreneurial was really in commoditized businesses. So I wasn't mm -hmm. sure if I could be successful here. 
And then she wanted to step away within the first year and said, you know, take this thing over. And I did. And here we are 13 years later. And every year we've grown and we're really on this mission to bring back luxury to the American handbag space. And what makes it exciting is there isn't luxury in the American handbag space. Chris, there just isn't. Hmm. It's become a lowest common denominator business, especially in the Americas. And we've been overrun by the great European brands that everybody, if you, if you love handbags or if you love a great backpack, you're probably carrying a Louis Vuitton, Gucci, a Prada, you're carrying a Chanel, you're carrying these brands that you know stand for something. And that's what Hammett is. Hammett stands for something. Our mission is to bring back a brand that an American can buy and wear and be proud of because it really stands for something. Hmm. So how do you go about building a luxury brand? You know, I, I know of the Tory Birches and the coaches and they're maybe your pseudo high-end, but kind of mid-market uh, provider of handbags that are, that are American made. So tell us a little bit about how you're setting yourself apart and becoming that luxury brand. Well, for me, I can tell you it's, it, it, it's been a learning every year. And any entrepreneur that tells you they've got this 20-year plan, well, great, get on board, but it'll probably deviate. For me, it's been listening and learning and figuring out what was missing out there. It's in a technology term, what's the white space? And the white space early on was a brand that had integrity, price integrity, design integrity. If the product was always the highest quality and if the price was maintained in all the markets at the same level, like Louis Vuitton, Gucci, and Prada, then those two would lead to brand integrity, which is what true luxury is. So let's talk about luxury in its basic sense. What makes this handbag with the brand Hammett on it worth 300 retail? It's the belief that it's worth 300 retail. In another comparison, look at the current crypto craze and NFTs. They are worth what someone is willing to pay for them. Mm -hmm. And the luxury brands are built on that status that if you're willing to pay 60,000 for that Birkin handbag, that's not what it's worth. But if someone comes along and says it's now 500,000, which really just happened at Christie's, that's the new value for that same handbag. That's true luxury, not just the pricing, but also the relationship of the brand with the individual customers. It's unassailable. They'll do anything for the customer to keep that relationship fresh and to keep it for the long term. And I think that's what was missing. I know that's what's been missing in the American space, especially in handbags for quite some time. I mean, just look at all of the discount malls all over the country where you can buy the brands you just mentioned. Yep. That's not luxury. Okay. That's the perception of luxury. And that's what I'm calling price non-parity. And that's where a lot of the brands have gone here. And they think it's okay because everyone's doing it. And I got to say, Chris, at Hammett, if everyone was doing it when I got into it, it's the best advice I was given that I didn't follow. Because by following a different path, you can build the Google of luxury in America. The different path being not what the American brands are doing, but what the great luxury brands have been doing. That's why they've grown 35% during the pandemic, another 30% this year. People want something they can really trust, especially during times like this. Absolutely. I, I definitely, you know, uh, I'm a big believer in kind of the aspirational brands where they make you want to be able to afford it one day, right? Because you want to be able to have that brand that gives you some sort of feeling or whatever it may be. Now, I know for a lot of our listeners, they're probably struggling to think about 
well, how big are these companies? Like, why is this an exciting investment opportunity for me? Yes. Do you have any proxies we can talk about, be it Gucci or Versace or these really high-end companies, uh, what their value is so that people can understand just how big an opportunity this may be? Well, the best one is the most valuable man in the world is the chairman of Louis Vuitton. And he mm-hmm. jockeys between himself, Jeff Bezos, and Elon Musk. So there's one proof positive there. He runs the luxury brand house of Louis Vuitton, and he is the most wealthy individual in the world. The second proxy would be the market size. It's really important, right? You have two options. You can attack a market that's growing by leaps and bounds and one day may become a $100 billion market, or you can attack a $100 billion market, the luxury handbag space, which is wide open for competition. So if you think about it, at $100 billion market size, Hammett will break $30 million this year. We're not even one one thousandth of the market size. 1% capture gets us to, you know, a billion dollar revenue company. So mm-hmm. I think those are two benchmarks there. Is the handbag size uh, space exciting like technology? No. You know what it is? It's very profitable. It's got the best margins of any fashion or really most other consumer products. And it has the highest repeat level of customer and customer Mm -hmm. retention. So when you talk about the metrics that most people want to use, you're going to look at what's your average customer? What does that customer cost to get? And what's their lifetime value? All of the, on all three of those, we have record levels, especially in the American space. Well, I know you mentioned that you've kind of been in the the commodities business before, but in many ways, it's not a commodity, right? This is a very high-end luxury product with crazy high margins. Um, And I I like to help people understand that, you know, when you're building out a portfolio of investments uh, in the private markets, it it really doesn't just have to be tech. You should still think about diversification and being in high-end consumer goods is certainly an interesting place to be and very, very differentiated from the other things that you're most likely putting in your portfolio. So just when you're thinking about your portfolio construction, consider the fact that if you have a really strong and profitable company, which by the way, is probably different from a lot of the tech companies you're investing in early on, this could be an interesting way to diversify your portfolio. It's one of the big reasons I wanted to talk to you today, Tony. Um, So tell us a little bit about your, your current offering and why you decided to do a Regulation A plus offering. You know, the Regulation A-plus is something I've been looking at for over five years since DSTLD came out and did one distilled, one of the originals. And we knew when we were in the right position, we would come forward with this. So we've already had a successful uh, strategic investor, a private equity firm, gave us a couple of million bucks at the end of 2018. We executed so, so well. We were a portfolio company in the year of 2019. We won Accessories Council Design Awards in 19 and 20, and they're co-investing in this round. Terrific. Why are they getting into the reggae on this round? Why did we do reggae? Well, it's really simple. We're 13 years in the business, almost 800,000 units shipped to our customers since the beginning. We've stood behind the brand with a lifetime warranty. So we have this amazing customer base that loves us. And we want to activate that customer base. So going back to what you said about risk, we're not a startup. Yep. We're actually, but we're, we're acting like a startup in the fact that We've grown from a little less or a little right around 10 million a couple of years ago to over 30 million this year. So you can really take almost those first 10 years and count them as practice. They say the hardest is the first million, and then the hardest is the next is the next nine to get to 10. And then you can explode to 50. That's where we're going. 
So if you look at us, we're more of a hyper growth brand right now. Mm. But the reason we chose to do a reg A was to acknowledge the customers and the providers that really loved us in the beginning, give them a chance to get in on it. The story has been told before, the democratization, right? But sure. most of the time it's being told about startups. It's a lot of risk. We've taken all that risk away because we're already profitable this year and we're already experienced hyper growth. I mean, we're going to grow from 17 and a half million in 2020, which was also a growth year during the pandemic to over 30 million in 2021. And we're going to have net profitability and EBITDA profitability. It's incredible. You know, I, you're absolutely right about the, the fact that a lot of companies are, you know, 10 year overnight successes and people don't realize that how long you could be kind of grinding along, finding your way, finding the product market fit, but not hitting that major inflection point where things just take off. Um, interesting to be able to get in at this moment in time. And for folks who think, you know, getting in super early is the answer. That is part of the answer. Yes, because, you know, high risk, high reward, right? Um, but getting in somewhere here kind of more in the middle um, is an interesting spot. And this is where private equity lives and makes all of their money because you right. find companies that actually have a proven model of how to be successful and then know how to throw fuel on the fire. So let's talk about what the fuel, right? The capital is going to be utilized for and that, how that's going to help you grow the business. Great. Well, with the two million we've raised and another million and a half, we're only three and a half million of capital raised. And that's why I have super majority of the company. But wow. with that little bit of capital, we've been able to get to 30 million plus in revenue. We have two physical retail Hammett stores and we have a lease for a third that will be opening first quarter of next year. And we're also carried in 800 retail partners around the country. Hmm. And on top of that, Hammett.com is half more than half of our revenue. So what are we going to do with this additional capital? More of the same. There is no risk capital here. We have a fully built out tech stack. We have an amazing uh, executive team. What we're going to be doing is we're going to be adding seven more stores over the next 36 months. And why are we doing that? Because we found each store that we added, it gave us huge lift both online and at that store in revenue and in customer engagement. In addition to that, we're going to add a couple of additional people at the top, a CFO, a chief revenue officer. And then the third, we're going to drive further growth with the capital with a digital initiative and further expansion of some of the product line, deeper in backpacks, which are already winners, and deeper in our travel, which is doing very well right now. So the capital is really just to fuel the growth. We're throwing it right on the fire. We don't have any missing pieces right now that we need to fill in with that money, and we don't have a burn rate. So if you think about it, it's all going to go to become like that Louis Vuitton, the most profitable company in the world. 800 retailers. Talk to us a little bit about what those retailers look like. Yeah, you know, I'll tell you what they don't look like. What they don't look like is Off Price, Nordstrom Rack, TJ Maxx. What they do look like is that little boutique that you want to take your wife shopping in downtown Manhattan Beach or in any downtown city in America, 500 strong. And it also looks like the only two department stores that are profitable and family-owned, Lawn Mar in the Midwest, and Dillard's in the South, because those two department stores were in every door and were their number one brand, fastest growth, highest final margin, and highest average retail price of all handbags in the department. And that's why they're, especially Dillard's, Bill Dillard personally behind the brand, and he's given us the most real estate in their top 20 doors right away in the first quarter. We're going to be as large as Coach used to be, and Michael Kors, and Kate Spade, which they're pulling back on because they can't compete with the discount malls. Brands. Mm. 
So they're really behind our brand. If I can add one more thing, Chris, which was great. Please. You know, the D2C model was great for a time when they could outmaneuver the physical stores. But now the level playing field means you need them as partners to really leverage that spend and leverage that brand. So even though we have a positive ROAS and our customer acquisition cost is lower versus our first transaction, we're profitable online with that first transaction, Chris. Hmm. But when you layer in the fact that we get an additional 40% revenue at wholesale because of this brand building, that's all free money. Everyone. That's why Warby Parker has 100 plus stores and just went public at an amazing valuation. Okay, That's the model that we're following, which is omni-channel, Hammett stores, online, just on our site, no marketplaces, and amazing retail partnerships in all the cities that we want to be in as we continue to expand. So you've shipped 800,000 units. Can we just talk a little bit about who the core Ooh. customer is and what the average price point is? Yeah, yeah. So, you know, our, right here in the beach town, it started our core customers are people, they want to carry a handbag brand or any brand that they can share with their family and friends. So I like to call it inclusive luxury. They want to be proud of it and they want to trust it. So I use a great analogy. Our customer, they love to be sitting on an airplane and talking to someone next to them and find out that they have the same experiences, they have something in common, and then they stay friends forever. That's the Hammett fan. That's not defined by age. It's definitely not defined by where they live. It's a, it's a psyche. It's who they are. It also just happens that because our average price point for this bag being 300, which is our VIP, a top seller. And then our cross bodies and larger ones between five and 700. Because of that price point, I mean, we serve the top 20%, the top 15% of America. They're the ones that can afford to carry our brand. And then the third thing, if you really want to think about it, is the relationship that our, our fans have with, with our brand. It's a deep relationship. It's not transactional and it's not a single purchase. When they fall in love with some of the great new brands, like Dior is a great new brand right now, they go deep. So when they fell in love with their Louis Vuitton and Gucci, they probably have three or four of them. Our customers are the same. They become collectors. I like that. Definitely a good way to, uh, to drive up revenues and, and repeat customers. You're doing something really interesting uh, that I definitely want to discuss, which is going on a new show. Uh, that's really supportive of, of what kind of I define as the online private markets, right? Retail investors being able to partake in private equity. Um, so you're going on a show called Going Public. Talk to us a little bit about the decision to do that uh, and what people can expect. So prior to the decision to go on the show, we actually went forward with the white label software from issuance. And the reason we chose this software is we wanted to raise the money on Hammett's site. It's the same reason I mentioned earlier, we're not on Amazon or we're not on any third-party platforms. I'm a data guy. So we launched on Oracle NetSuite 13 years ago. We did Shopify 5 Plus and 14. I like to control the data because then you can control the relationship with the customer. So for Reg A, I love the platforms. And sometimes I'm, I feel like, oh, maybe I should have went there because they have breath and they have reach. But we made a choice to go the same direction, own the data, own the relationship. Then I figured out though, we need more marketing. If we're gonna to try to get everybody to our website, how are we gonna get them there? Well, that led me down the path to discover the Going Public series. And it just so happened, the founders of the Going Public series overlap with the founders of Issuance in some way. There's a crossover between Aaron and Darren, and then there's some new guys, Todd. 
So I started researching it and I reached out to Todd and I talked to him and I said, what is this show? In a nutshell, it's Shark Tank and The Profit. So it's a business web series that you can watch, except while you're watching it, you'll be able to invest in Hammond in real time in less than a couple of minutes. That's cool. So we started shooting it late summer. There's three other brands on it and we're all in hyper growth and uh, it's going to air really could air as soon as next week. And then there's 10 episodes going into next year. And it really airs, cool. sorry, on entrepreneur.com and their network. And they just licensed, I think, to another uh, uh, property too. Yeah, this is something I've wanted to see for years. I always yeah. believed if you gave people, you know, Shark Tank is like one of the most popular shows out there. What if you gave people the actual ability to be able to invest in them while watching? Uh, it's a really, really exciting proposition. I'm certainly excited to watch the show uh, and see you on it. I think that'll be really cool. So for folks who are interested, you know, when it does come out, entrepreneur.com is where it'll be streaming. Sounds like there might be another property as well. Yeah. Um, for those who are listening in, Tony, where should people go if they want to invest in Hammett? Um, invest.hammett, which is H-A-M-M-I-T-T.com is the investment site. And of course, you can go to goingpublic.com to learn more about the uh, series. And of course, you can reach out to me, Tony, T-O-N-Y at H-A-M-M-I-T-T.com anytime. I love to hear from investors. Outstanding. Well, you heard it here first. If you're interested in Hammett, you can go check them out at invest.hammett.com. Really, really interesting company. I personally think it's a very unique way to get to diversify your, your private equity portfolio. It's been an absolute pleasure speaking with you, Tony, and congrats on all the success to date. Chris, thank you so much for having me on. You know, I'm a, a Merlin member of King's Crowd. And oh, I nice. Everyone, but I used King's Crowd to do all of my research for maybe six months before we even put together our offering. So I'm a big believer. I don't even knew that, Chris, but yeah. I didn't. Uh, That's fantastic. Thanks for the yeah. shout out. Yeah, yeah, no, it's great. It's, it, there's no other place like it. Well, thank you. I, I'm very glad to hear that. That's music to my ears, certainly. Um, thank you, everyone, for listening. Tony, wonderful to have you on the show. Uh, happy investing, everyone. Take care now. Bye-bye.